the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is a public speaker, coach, therapist and youth advocate, Paul McKenzie. Hi Paul, welcome to my podcast series. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I'm good, I'm alive. Well, that's always a good start. <laughs> so, Paul, what have you been up to during these very curious times? Oh, wow. You mean curious times as in the the lockdown, the pandemic, the world-changing um, events, all of that stuff. It's been, you know, for me, 2020 has been, it's been such an interesting time. And, you know, just to cap it off with this lockdown, uh, I'm going to start with saying that I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about the world. I've learned so much about human beings and how they react to certain situations. In terms of the family, I've also equally learned the value of spending quality time with family. You know, having been such an active person before and spending so much time out of the house, I was I, I was kind of almost forced into seeing the values and, and learning to love again, just sitting and chilling, you know, spending time with the family. So for me, it's a, for me, it's a really, it's a really interesting time in terms of growth. I've grown a hell of a lot over this process. Well, as they say, sometimes less is more. Absolutely, less is more, mm. and less less can sometimes have. That's where the quality is in that less. If you can find it, I mean, I've seen a lot of people online complaining about their climbing the walls and going stir crazy. But I believe it's a question of where do you place your focus? Do you place your focus? Yeah. Do you place your focus on what you can't do, or do you place it on what you can do? <laughs> <laughs> you see, what what I do is because I am I'm an NLP master practitioner, so I've learned how to reframe most situations in my life. I've I've learned how to realign my emotions. I've learned how to be outside when I'm inside that makes sense because everything is how you look at that situation and your emotions lead to uh, specific behaviors and sometimes those specific behaviors are the things that get frustrated mm. so for example if i can't if i can't leave the house for a day you know i can just get on with something totally creative that takes me away from the notion of wanting to even go out so i can get trapped in my own man cave uh, and also the man cave in my mind so there's lots of different reframes I've had to put into place, uh, not just recently, but over the years, just to get me through those frustrated times. And so to put them to the test through this time well, was what I found really effective, as to actually put those reframes through the test. So, Paul, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I am, I am a Tottenham man, through and through to the end. Me and Tottenham have this inf this infinity that we must grow up here and end here. So I'm a I'm a Tottenham man. I grew up in Tottenham. Really, really interesting place to grow up. You know, when I grew up in Tottenham, Tottenham wasn't as notorious as it it, it, it is now or, or is perceived to be now. Tottenham to me was a really, really humble community that had a lot of wisdom there was a lot there you know for me growing up there was always a place for wisdom you know i could meet an elder and there was wisdom wisdom and so that's kind of why i will never leave that 
Uh, I had a really, really interesting upbringing in the sense that even though I was able to get wisdom, you know, sometimes we don't take it on board. And so for me, it was uh, how can I how can I challenge everything? And so obviously I got myself into a little bit of trouble, learned a lot from getting into trouble. It was something I always, you know, because I was I was my mum used to say too damn fast. And so I, it enabled me to take on board my mum's values more by experiencing the things she said don't experience, if that makes sense. So I was able to grow up uh, from an early age in Tottenham, push the boundaries a bit, but had enough time to see that there was more than that that meets the eye about Tottenham. And that's why I still work in Tottenham now, because there's so much to it that people don't realise there's so much beauty to that community that just needs to be retapped again. And, then, you know, so for me, growing up in Tottenham and working in Tottenham, it's just a beautiful thing. I love it. And that's why I do so much of the community work. So do you still live in Tottenham? I live on the outskirts of Tottenham, um, which enables me to sort of get there because a lot of the work I do is Tottenham-based. So I can be there in like two minutes, two minutes flat. And so, and so I spend most of the time in Tottenham. I do a lot of youth empowerment work in Tottenham and also work with a lot of parents in Tottenham and so for me it's always about having that that link and staying true to to the community that you work with. Well I think that's very admirable. So Mm. during your life Paul has there been a particular experience that you believe dramatically changed you as a person? I was 14 and I remember I was expelled from school I was kicked out of school because First of all, first and foremost, I was always questioning the teachers. And at that time, you know as well as I do that nobody was up for questioning. So it was easier to expel you than to deal with your questions. And so I was expelled from school, which, you know, I then got into a life of crime. And during the space of a year, a year and a half, I was arrested like probably 18 times. And so, yeah, 18 times. And I used to, I used to still... This is a really strange thing about being still expelled from school because you only learn the value of school when you can no longer go to school. So I used to do these crimes and then go back to go back and, and hang around outside the school all day. And so, yeah, so I got arrested 18 times. And then I remember my mum, she grew so insensitive to me being arrested because it changed from the first time I was arrested to, you know, the tears how could I have failed you, blah, 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 to her just almost expecting it was going to happen again. And so it went It went so bad that I remember standing in the courtroom and I remember the judge saying to me, how do you want to deal with... Because I had, uh, I think, 13 offences on one day in court. And, yeah, and I remember the judge saying to me... Sorry, my solicitor saying to me, how do you want to deal with these? Do you want to deal with these individually uh, or do you just want to group them together and tell the judge everything and see what happens. So I was like, let's just do it all in in one sitting. And so I remember the first time that I, I was in court was the first time I sent jail. And I remember saying, what the hell? Judge sentenced me to six months in prison. And I remember breaking down and crying, but that's not what, what really made me change my life. That was the start of it. The, the first marker was, uh, and I'll never forget this, is when, because when you get sent to prison, there is no going and hugging your mum and saying goodbye. That's it, you go downstairs. And I never knew that. I never knew that you just go downstairs. And so I remember seeing my mum crying <clears throat> across the courtroom. And then I remember sitting downstairs for about a couple of hours in this pokey little cell with a little hole in the door. And then I remember 
hearing a tap on it and expecting it to open and it didn't open but the flat moved and when I looked through it, it was my mum she was crying and that vision there that was the first vision that told me that this is not it this is not my life that's one of the markers that made me start on this journey of change the second marker was was actually being in in prison I think it was about a week in and I remember this um, security guard uh, we called him screws at the time came over over to me and I remember when I went into prison it wasn't really pleasant because I was going through this beef with some guys and they were all in there so when I when I arrived to find out they they were all in there was was absolutely terrible it was almost like I wanted to commit suicide because how was I going to deal with this for six months because we were having this really I mean we were talking about knife crime and everything before yeah there were knives involved and everything so to go into prison on my own and see all of them was really bad so anyway so fast forward a couple of days when i managed to avoid him but i remember i made some friends in there and i remember this let's call him a screw he came over and he literally bypassed everybody and he came right over to me and said to me i'm going to ask you a question and me being this bullshit little you know wannabe bad boy i said to him what are you talking about how where you come where you, where you come over to me and ask me and he said no you i'm going to ask you a question and he said to me, what do you want to do with your life? Because you're not like these guys here. These guys are going to come back over and over and over again. And I remember thinking, why on earth would he ask me? So anyway, he said, I'm going to come and ask you tomorrow morning. And I remember going away. I didn't even eat dinner that day because it played on my mind so much. Anyway, didn't sleep well. And I remember in the morning, the only thing that was compelling to me was, is this man going to come and ask me again? Because you remember up until that point, nobody has ever asked me what I want to do with my life. Nobody at all in my life has ever, ever asked me that, that single question. Not parents, anything. So I remember he came in and I was watching him and he was watching me. And then he started walking towards me. And then the other guys started laughing. And then I remember sitting there, I stayed there. And he walked over to me and said to me, what do you want to do with your life? And the first thing that popped out of my mouth was, I want to be a photographer. Now, Nigel, ask me where that came from. I don't even know where that came from. Because at that time, being, being young, black, and a photographer was just never heard of. So I remember it popped out of my mouth, and I was like, I want to be a photographer. And he looked at me, and he said, that decision will follow you for the rest of your life. He said, if you stick to that, you will never come back here. And I remember saying to myself, my God, I don't even know where that came from. Anyway, fast forward to my leaving day. Saw him again. He said to me, just remember what we spoke about. Because those are those. And, and do you know, the strangest thing is every one of those boys I was with was back there within a year. Every one of them. Mm. Yeah. And I remember leaving prison. I said, oh, I'm going to be a photographer. I remember my mum. She worked at so many jobs. But I remember she, she, she'd saved up some money. And my mum was a very funny woman. She, she never had until she went upstairs. And then she had. And I remember her saying, no, no, I ain't got no money for no camera right now. And then I remember going upstairs and coming back downstairs with some money that she'd saved. And she got some money from her partner. And I remember, she, and I'll never forget these moments. And I remember she gave me the, the money to go and buy a camera. And I remember going into the camera shop. I knew nothing about cameras. And I remember going into the camera shop and asking the man, what's the best camera I could buy for that money? This is how, you know, God is good. You know, when you, 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 you decide to do something in your life, Things open up for you because I didn't have enough money, but I left the shop with that camera because the man looked at me 
and had a belief about me. He said, there's something different about you. And I'm telling you, Nigel, since that day, we are going back now over nearly 35 years. I've never not had a camera in my life. Even symbolically, I've always had a camera. And most days, I always have a camera with me. Well, it's handy now with the mobile phones. Everything's built in. But I wanted to ask you, you now do public speaking. So did your experience in prison, did it set you on that road as well? No, not at all. It took me another 10 years to realise that I wanted to do public speaking. And uh, I'll tell you how that came about. Because I was always a humorous boy. I was always the joker in the class. I was always the one that, you know, made everybody laugh and then got a final laugh when I got kicked out of the class and I'd look through the window and everyone was still laughing and I'd get a satisfaction from it. And so I always knew deep down inside, I love doing that. I, I, you know, I love photography, but I also love talking and making people laugh. But how was I ever going to do that? Because I'm terrified of standing in front of people. Absolutely terrified of it, yeah? Because putting your hand up meant that you were accountable for what was about to come out of your mouth. I never got myself in that position. So fast forward 10 years, just after my mum had passed, and I remember getting to a stage where I thought to myself, there's got to be more to life than, you know, the photography always carried me there. And I, that time I was working in a firm of solicitors as well. And I also had my first son. Yeah, I had my first son when I was 20. And so I, was, I remember working in this place and thinking, you know, my mum had just passed. And we were all sad because I've got five sisters. And I remember one of my sisters said to me, a guy named Tony, Tony Robbins, he's coming to London and he's an empowering, he's an empowerment speaker. And he stands up and he gets on stage uh, and he empowers you. And I thought, yeah, let's go for this. And then she told me it was like £975. And I was like, let's not go for this. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? At that time, I remember I had £1,080 in my bank. Yeah. And that time it was a bit of money because I was saving up for a Ford Escort. And I thought, if I'm going to change my life, I need to do this thing. Uh, so we registered and it was really, it was deep to pay that kind of money for a weekend, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And I thought, I'm going to leave this place and my life has to change. So we, I remember attending on, on the first day. He got on stage and I remember thinking to myself, I could do that, yeah. And I remember there were 5,000 people there. And I remember th thinking to myself, God, look how well he looks. Look how masterful he is. Look at, look at all the people here to see him. Yeah. And it was such an, it was so overwhelming that it made me forget about what it cost. And so on the first night, I remember sitting there and we were going through these processes of letting go. How are we going to let go of the things that hold us back? And I remember me and my sister, we had the same beliefs. Uh, and there was one thing that came up that we shared. It was a time when we went to see my dad. And basically what my dad did is he lined us all up. There was five of us in a, in a row. And he basically said to us, to, to, to all of us, you, you lot are not going to be shit. And this was when we were in our late teens. And realizing that that was what limited me was that from that conversation it literally created a limiting belief within me which i now realize was the limiting belief here with these five thousand people so we spoke about it 
And I remember me and my sister hugged and cried and we vowed to release that emotion, forgive him. And it was a really, really emotional process that we went through. And so later on that evening, we did what's called, I don't know if you know about the firewalks. Yes, I've heard of those. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a four-time firewalker now. I remember later that night, he, he said, oh, so tonight we're going to do what's called the firewalk. You don't have to do it, but you're going to be walking across 18 feet of hot burning coal. Have a think about it. Sign a disclaimer. Let me know if you want to do it. And I was like, shh. Jeez, am I going to be that brave to walk across fire? But then he came on stage and he said, here's the thing. If you can walk across this fire, what is it in life that could ever stop you having walked? What belief system could you shatter by walking over hot coal? And so that was it. I was signed up for it. I was like, I'm walking across this coal. And so anyway, long story short, I walked across the coal. Me and my sister walked across. When I left that seminar on the Monday, Tuesday morning, I said, what am I going to do in, in, the, in the context of public speaking? Phoned up a comedy agent and said, I want to come and do an open spot. And I did com- stand-up comedy from that point for 10 years. So when did you begin public speaking and what do you speak about? Well, first and foremost, stand-up comedy is public speaking. It's the worst form of public speaking you could do. It's the hardest form. So I went in on the deep end. I went in on the deep end of public speaking uh, and learning how to deal with crowds in in real time. And I did that for 10 years. And then I went on to speak and empower people just in terms of uh, life skills, how they can improve their lives. Also teaching people the, the processes of how NLP can help them enhance their lives then went on to teach people how to speak in public how to get over the fear of public speaking uh, and just generally any opportunity i get to speak to communicate but how did you make that transition from stand-up comedy to then wanting to empower other people um see when you when you're a stand-up comic if you're if you're i'm not saying i'm a good one yeah i'm gonna say i was a good one i was a good one i learned that there was so much more to communication because you know we're dealing with emotions and so what i started to realize is when a person comes to a comedy club and they feel low they leave on a high and that's something really powerful you know because you human beings who who come somewhere who have issues that are in their lives are able to forget them at that moment and actually able to push them to a place where they can now feel good about themselves again having laughed all night so i thought to myself okay the whole stand-up comedy thing is great but there's a different area of human communication that I wanted to challenge. And that was the whole thing about how do you empower somebody to do something great with their life? How do you give somebody the tools to move from a place of trauma to a place of greatness? Mm. Yeah. How do, you, how do you empower somebody to understand the limitations they placed on themselves through somebody else's decision when they were a child? Just And that's just a few of the things... So I used to teach people, like, I'm also a timeline therapist, which means I can take people back uh, through a process of hypnotherapy to actually deal with trauma that created limiting beliefs. Mm. So I actually went that deep with it. So I was actually working with people on the processes of how and why they feel that way today and educating them how to remove the original emotions that led to that. So I went really deep with the whole gestalt therapy, how the mind works, which is what the NLP is, and how similar it is to a computer. 
So how do we re how do we reprogram ourselves to get the best from ourselves? And so that became the journey was how do you teach people to re to, to reprogram themselves to get the best from themselves? Well, you used to appear on the BBC. How did you get involved with that? With the BBC in terms of radio. One is obvious. I, I mean, I sound like one of those radio guys anyway. So that always works for me because I, you know, I always loved the the fact that I could communicate at a specific level. But it was when I really got into the empowering youth, empowering young people and helping them to avoid the lure of things like grooming or, or getting involved in gangs or in fact, just having enough belief in yourself to finish school. You know, don't be the dropout that, like I was. Don't be the guy that has to go through these experiences in order to end up with the same result as me. So I started becoming more of a vocal youth. What did somebody call me once? They called me a youth advocate. So I became a youth advocate who stood up for the voice of young people. And having, do, having you know, doing that alone meant that I was kind of a regular correspondent on the Vanessa Felt show, also on RT television, uh, they've done a few documentaries on me in Germany, Russian TV, uh, and the BBC. So, so you know, I've, I've always kind of spoken on behalf or interpreted what they thought was an issue going on with young people. So they would call me and I would break it down and, and, and actually educate those those media platforms on what is the correct narrative with young people. And so that's kind of my involvement with those channels. And I'm, I still do it from time to time. Or, However, I'm a bit more cautious now because I'm only working with narrative that helps to empower young people. And, and too many of these media outlets are looking for stories that help to continue the same perpetual downward spiral with young people. But I, you know, if you're gonna call me to talk about what young people are doing in a positive way, then I'm your guy. And I made it very clear on radio that, you know, don't call me anymore if you really were just trying to tease out of me something that can help damage those young people who are working so hard but being diluted by this negative narrative that you guys keep feeding them. So, Paul, what other interests do you have? I have loads of interests. My particular interest at the moment is uh, six months ago, I started my own social media platform. Yeah, a lot of people don't know it yet because it is in the very, very extremely late development stages, which means it's about to go live in the next two weeks or so. And it's a platform which is totally safeguarded. It's called foam20.com because that's how deep I go because I believe that young people are being influenced in the wrong way using conventional social media and also adults are not really understanding the belly of the beast when it comes to social media so i've created a platform which is exactly if not better than facebook snapchat and twitter all in one but it's a it's a completely safeguarded platform so if you have children uh, they can use that and this is my whole point is to get this into schools, colleges, and also use it in terms of um, organizations that have vulnerable young people. And one, of my, one of my passions right now, my interest, is to get that in front of people that are responsible for our, quote, vulnerable young people who are often being abused online. So does that mean then that you're seeking out funding to support this project? That's a very good question because I... <laughs> You know, I've made so many videos, awareness videos in the past. I think I've made about 70 or 80 awareness videos, which are shared and used in schools. Uh, the media uses them all the time. But nobody's ever approved any of my funding applications. And so that makes me 
even more consistent because what I find is is that a lot of organizations that get funding to do things lose the passion to do it because then it becomes about money uh, and I've gone up against so many organizations that have asked me to get involved uh, if only just to kind of water down what I'm trying to do and so this this social media platform that I've built and is is about to go live is is that's off my own back and I wanted it to be that way. I wanted it to be a project that I started. I'm working with seven young people who are testing the site and actually they've actually got jobs. So I've actually promised them that they're going to be trillionaires <laughs> once this is launched. So I've got seven young people that are consistent. I've used them on film projects. They've starred in films. Two of them are autistic. One of them is cerebral palsy. And these are the young people that I mean, because, you know, when we talk about mentoring, we, we don't talk about mentoring for a specific amount of time. If I take on somebody and I mentor them, I'm there for life. I'm there for life. And I just can't help it. It's just that's just how I am. So these, these, these young people I've been working with consistently are now part of this new social media platform. They've got an active role in it. So they've actually got jobs in this enterprise, which is and it's going to be big. It's going to be big. And there's nothing more I would love than to have my children work along with those children to build the next generation of social media. So, Paul, how can people contact you? They can find me on phone, foam20.com. Go on there, register. It's free. Let me tell you something really, really interesting about foam, right? This is why it's going to be so unique. So say, for example, if you go on and register, you're able to use the chat functions. You're able to upload films, music any creative content that you you produce which is all socially responsible content it's a platform for only socially responsible content but this is how deep it goes so you as a user who goes on it and shares uh, post stuff on there you get what's called a bonus point every time you interact with the site and so those bonus points accrue beside your profile picture and as your bonus points increase every time you interact those bonus points are turned into pounds which you can donate to a charity or cause of your choice and i think that's one of the unique selling points of foam20.com is that you you don't have to put your money in your your hand in your pocket those points which are paid for by advertising and interaction you can say to yourself i'm going to be so socially responsible that i want to donate that to child life and that and that's donated in monetary terms so if you build up say for example 100 points it may not seem much but you're actually doing a socially responsible thing by sending that pound to Childline. so you're actively becoming more and more socially aware of what you're doing by using that site and that's so that's something i kept hidden for a while because it was in development but that's that's due out in the next two weeks ago and it's it's good it's going to be great so i tell people can find me on all the social media platforms but if i want to be socially responsible the only place i'm going to tell you to find me is on phone20.com well paul your work sounds very commendable to me thank you very much thank for you. your time no thank you anytime Thank you for listening. Please join me for another In Conversations podcast very soon for more interesting and entertaining discussions. Stay safe.